On the British Applied Mathematics Colloquium in Oxford, there were several really interesting plenary talks. One started with a movie of fascinating robots. The presentation was given by Annette Hosoy of the engineering department at MIT in Cambridge. I was delighted when she agreed to talk with me about the mathematics in her work with and on robots. Hello. Um, to th this morning, you gave an interesting lecture uh, here in Oxford at the colloquium of the British, American, uh, British Applied Mathematics uh, Society. And at the beginning of the lecture, you showed a really interesting or nice or whatever funny <laughs> film about robots. And my question um, with which I would like to start our conversation is, uh, what are topics in mathematics which could help uh, such robots work? Uh, yeah, so I think this is a really exciting area to work in. Um, so the video I showed so people can find it was is by Boston Dynamics. And if you go to YouTube and search for Boston Dynamics, you'll get all kinds of terrific robot videos. Um, the mathematical question that I think is most interesting to me right now is um, on the control side. So when you watch these videos, you'll see these robots do incredible things that they, they look very organic, they look very biological. Um, but all of the controls are designed for rigid systems. So systems with rigid pieces that are connected by links, so you have sort of a finite number of, um, of degrees of freedom. Um, what I think is kind of the, the next new exciting step um, is to understand how you control soft systems, because if you look in biology, a lot of the biological systems are soft, um, and the mathematics has to change completely, because in soft systems, now you have an infinite number of degrees of freedom. The structures can de deform continuously. So you really have to start from the ground up and rethink how you do controls in those systems. Yes, I think this um, kind of uh, development of robots was very much driven by the mind of engineers, mm -hmm. uh, which yeah. kind of think of a connection with degrees of freedoms, and they just put one connection, which they well understood, uh, as many connections as they need uh, to rebuild kind of a human sizing. Yeah, yeah. So I with two legs and two arms. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And then um, to, to be able to make this thing walk. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. I think uh, you're exactly right that you start from pieces that we're familiar with. So yeah. you start from the small pieces and you build up to something that's that's at sort of a, a, a scale that we're used to dealing with. Um, and again, if you look at by you know you look at something like the octopus. Yeah. Octopus continuously deformable. Control structure is completely different in an octopus than than in a person. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I guess um, the, if you make computer games, you will yeah. have a, t a story to tell about that. Yes, yeah. because <laughs> if they take that and animate that, they will uh, have something, of course, which is just an, in the machine yeah. visualization. Yeah. But yeah. In in a way, they have the same modeling equations as we yep. have a, a real thing which is built and yeah. walking around. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I think the sort of the people who do um, uh, these visualizations, who do the special effects in movies, they're getting closer and closer to modeling real physics because mm. it turns out you can't make things look right unless you yeah. get the physics right. Uh, that's really yeah. funny. Yes. Uh -huh. Sometimes you really see that it doesn't look right and yeah. uh, there is gravity missing or yeah. uh, some movements just look really odd. Actually, this is another place where um, there's really exciting areas for mathematics. So I have a friend at UCLA, um, he's an applied mathematician, who uh, modeled the snow in Frozen. And so the snow in, this, in the Disney movie Frozen looks terrific. If you compare that to other snow, um, and it's because they got the physics right. 
the physics of snow. What yeah. would that mean? Yeah. So in the, in frozen, so if you if you, you'll notice, there's a lot of scenes where snow falls off trees, or mm. people fall into snow, or snow is rolling. Any of these things where these where uh, where snow is moving, um, it's actually really complicated. Yeah, I would <laughs> so, think yeah. so. Yes. So yeah. So the the sort of the mathematical modeling and the physics behind that can get pretty complex. So what would be an idea um, really to have the soft control? Mm -hmm. So what kind of mathematics would be necessary to do that? Yeah, so I think what you really need to do, um, so if you look historically, um, sort of the controls and the continuum mechanics communities have typically been fairly separate. And, um, and even though there are a lot of the same ideas in both communities, the terminology is different, the, the way um, sort of the, the way people think about the problems is different. Um, and so I think what you really need to do is build a bridge between those two communities. Um, and I think, um, uh, it, I mean, I think it's challenging just, just because You know, you know, very early on, you decide, okay, am I, am I a controls person or am I a mechanics person? Um, and so I think you have to back up and sort of formulate a common language there. Mm. And um, would you think that um, it is possible then to find kind of a meta equations where you can really define derivatives, which would help to find an optimal point, something like that? I, I do, I do. Um, you know, and so I think, you know, I think one of the challenges is in controls, you're one of the things you're most con concerned about is um, is stability, yeah. right? So you want to make sure that whatever yeah, especially you're doing is, with these big machines, exa yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that's what's critical, um, and. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think again in the the context that people have worked in before, where you have where, where you're working in a discrete space with a finite number of things that can move, um, it's well defined how you do those kinds of things. Um, once you, it, having said that, I don't think it's going to be it's impossible to move it over to continuum mechanics because honestly, when we do continuum mechanics. At some point, we turn things into ODEs, we turn things into PDEs, and at some point, we discretize them, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And so, 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 and at that point, everything that's been developed in the controls community should be should be relevant, yeah. right? So, um, so I, I'm actually pretty hopeful that that um, it, that bridge is not going to be too. It's not too far to cross. <laughs> not yeah. too far across is good because yeah. uh, probably from outside it's not even understand understandable that there is there is a, a bridge, bridge. <laughs> exactly that yeah. you need really a, 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 a broad bridge uh, yeah. to gap the knowledge exactly and also exactly. to gap kind of how we look at things what is our yeah. experience with things yeah I mean I think that's one of the things I've learned working in this in this field is that we are all extremely biased by the the path we've taken to where to where we get to um, so you know talking talking to people um, about robotics um, in sort of the controls and robotics community versus talking to people about robotics in the mechanics community is a completely different conversation it's mm. completely different yes and always you have this um Uh, the probability that they just call you a dreamer. Yeah. <laughs> This is impossible. <laughs> impossible. Yeah. And then things yeah. just die. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, I've, I've heard that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the other topic uh, which I kept in mind from your mm -hmm. lecture, which I really found mm -hmm. fascinating, was to have hairy surfaces yeah. uh, over which you have fluid flow. Yeah. Yeah. So, what was um, the circumstances under which you came to this topic, and what do you, what kind of questions do you ask? Yeah, 
So, so there were there were two um, there were two directions that we came at this problem. Um, the first one is related to the robots, mm. um, where we were looking at developing solid state components for hydraulic robots. So these hydraulic are robots. Yes, mm. exactly. Yeah, so hydraulic robots where we have maybe a centralized uh, uh, high pressure reservoir, and that distributes fluid to the arms and the legs, and that's how the robot is actuated. Um, but in order to to move that fluid around, you have to have components like valves and pumps pumps and uh, diodes, these kinds of things, um, that, will, uh, that will appropriately control the flows. Yeah. Um, so we were thinking about how can you do that in a more efficient, a more cheap, a more uh, uh, something that costs less energy. Um, uh, are there ways we can develop components um, that will enable us to build extremely c- complex but cheap structures? Um, and so we were thinking about how do we build things like pumps and valves and uh, flow rectifiers uh, as solid state devices. And solid state by solid state, I mean no moving parts. Mm. So things get expensive when you have moving, moving parts, parts, right? Because the manufacturing and gets also expensive. They get unstable. If you have they get un- exactly. <laughs> they get unstable. They wear. It's just they're a nightmare, right? So you want it. So as much as you can do, g- stick to no moving parts, and that makes all the manufacturing much easier. So, um, so in particular, we were thinking about a fluid rectifier, which basically means I, I think imagine a tube where you flow easily in one direction and um, and meet with a lot of resistance in the other direction. Um, so um, there's uh, there's a fab- fabulous example of this. Um, uh, Nikolai Tesla actually patented one of these devices in 1920s, um, but his device relies on fluid inertia. Mm. And if you're going to look, if you're going to do hydraulic systems that are small scale. Uh, you have to move around oil. Uh, you have to move them through small channels, um, and in that case, um, you can't rely on inertia, right? Because because the it's viscous of, too small, yeah. the, it's, it's too small. Yeah. yeah. So the viscous effects are going to dominate. So the question is, can you build these kinds of flow rectifiers um, uh, in the limit that you have no inertia in your system? Um, and the problem is, uh, in for the fluid, you, if you just have the fluid, you can't because the, the equations are completely time reversible. So anything that goes in one direction is going to look exactly the same going in mm-hmm. the other direction. So that means you have to put some other kind of some other mechanism to break the symmetry in the system. And so we thought, oh, let's put in elasticity. Um, and we thought, okay, well, um, we can make the channels elastic in some way. So uh, we decided that one way to make the channels elastic so that they deform is to put little hairs on the inside. So when when they when fluid flows in one direction, the hairs bend with the flow, and when they flow in the other direction, they bend against the flow. And so you can put in put some asymmetry into the system that way. So that got us thinking about other systems where hairs interact with flow, um, and it turns out you see them all the time in biology, right? So you see them in marine mammals, when you see them when seals are swimming, when polar bears are swimming, you see them um, inside the body, there are all kinds of valves, there are all kinds of structures. Um, so it turned out to be um, just this gold mine, you know, <laughs> once we started looking yeah. for hairs interacting with flows. Yeah, and they are everywhere, kind of, yeah. yes, after yeah. you... F- try to find them you see them everywhere that's exactly right <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. the usual thing is that we just try to ignore them because we think uh, we have to simplify otherwise we are not able to do that exactly that's but, it um, that's also means that we probably overlook what's really happening on the surface i i think that's exactly true and especially because hairs um that you know even when they're small they're not that small right so they could be a few millimeters and a few millimeters i mean that's going to be important in the boundary layers and what we found um is that when we re- redo classical hydrodynamic experiments where instead of having smooth boundaries you have these hairy boundaries that have some elastic deformation it can completely change the results Mm. so um 
so so for uh, so for us it's been tremendously exciting and uh, yeah you learn a lot of interesting things about hairs <laughs> <laughs> maybe something you even don't want to know yeah exactly <laughs> so how uh, does it uh, complicate the system of equations because in a way one could already say that even the easiest model for fluid flow is quite a complicated one yeah Yeah. Because we have this one open question yeah. and everything around it, and even <laughs> if you put it on the computer, it's always kind of... Yeah. <laughs> if the yeah. Reynolds number becomes too big, you're always in trouble. It, exactly. So so one of the things that we did is um, we were only looking at low Reynolds number. Mm. Um, and so low Reynolds number, already that makes things much easier, right? So we don't yeah. have to worry about the fluid inertia. We can just solve Soap's equations. Um, just the linear one, yeah. Just the Which linear, exactly, easier. exactly. Mm. So... So we so we have not tried to put the complication of hairs on top of full Navier-Stokes, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. So we have mostly so we've been looking at at Stokes flow, um, and when you do that, actually things become tractable. Um, for for a couple of reasons, one is if you look at the level of the individual hairs. Um, Uh, the boundary conditions are not so complicated, right? You can actually you can solve things reasonably, reasonably exactly. You know, you have to make some effective permeabilities or some effective constants, but mm. but but you can get you can get a long way. Um, the other thing you can do is that if you have sort of a bed of lots of hairs, you can treat them as an effective porous medium. And there are lots of great models for porous media. And the question is, how do you determine what is the effective permeability of your bed of hairs, which may be pointing in all different directions, or they may be aligned? Um, and so there's been uh, work by um, uh, Mahadevan at, at Harvard and his um, postdoc, Arvind Gopinath, who's done some beautiful work um, to find analytic solutions for um, what is the effective permeability of these hairy beds. So that was... That was extremely instrumental for us in understanding how to put the right boundary conditions in place. Yeah, because in yeah. a way, first you could think it's kind of a periodic thing. Yeah. But if you want them to move, they don't stay that way. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And there's, a, um, and there's of course, a, f a feedback loop, right? Because the, the fluid bends the hairs, which changes the fluid flow. So it's, um, you know, you really have to solve the whole coupled system. Yeah, of course. I wasn't thinking about yeah. it, but this yeah. is, of course, one of the things you want to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you can't control exactly. the system. Yeah. E exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so especially if you want to have the flow rectifier, so you want things to be different going in one direction than the other, then it is absolutely critical that you have that feedback loop. Right? Yeah. yeah. So what would be the next steps you will do or you would like to do? Oh, yes. So um, so the next steps that we're working on... Um, uh, One that I'm very excited about. So we have looked at um, plunging hairy surfaces into a fluid, which is, you can imagine this as a seal or a sea otter diving into, into fluid. Um, but the we would like to now look at the opposite problem, which is taking a hairy surface and withdrawing it from a fluid bath and trying to understand, okay, how much fluid can you withdraw if you have a hairy surface? And this was motivated by a beautiful set of uh, videos and experiments that were done by a group at Brown um, on uh, bat drinking. So again, if you go to YouTube and you Google this, you look for bat tongues, you'll get these fantastic slow motion videos of bats uh, drinking nectar. And you can see they have these hairy tongues and the hairy tongues help them pull more nectar out with every time they stick their tongue into the flower. So, um, so we're interested in understanding, okay, is there an optimal hair arrangement or an optimal hair spacing um, for bat tongues and you're yeah. back to control if you're looking for an optimal and exact and that takes us back to control yeah yeah, yeah. um now you're making all these interesting things uh, yeah. which you presented in, in the lecture today so mm -hmm. what was your way uh, to arrive at that point yeah um so my uh 
My path through science has been very much a random walk, <laughs> I would say. Um, I, uh, so I initially, I, um, so even as an undergrad, I knew I wanted to do fluid dynamics. Just, and I don't even know why I knew that because I'd never taken a class on fluids. I didn't know anything about fluids, but I thought they were cool. <laughs> so, yeah, fluids are everywhere. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Feeling that it's it's important. Kind e of. Exactly, yeah. something like that. So then, uh, so then in graduate in graduate school, I started actually working on fluid dynamics, and it was great. Um, Where and, was that? Oh, uh, University of Chicago, Chicago. in in physics. Mm -hmm. Yep, and um, then uh, I okay, so then I got to I. Uh, I did a postdoc. I did a. I was in the math department briefly at Harvey Mudd College. Then I came to MIT, and when I got to MIT, I um, this is in mechanical engineering. I had been in my office for maybe three days. Like so, there's nothing in there. My shelves are empty. There's nothing. In, okay, and there's a knock on my door. Knock, knock, knock. And a student comes in and says, uh, "Oh, professor, so I really, I really want to work with you." And I said. I thought, this is terrific. I've only been here three days. Students already found me. They want to work with me. <laughs> and I said, okay. I said, that's great. What do you want to work on? And he said, I want to build robots. <laughs> I thought, well, I do fluid dynamics, so I don't, I don't know how to build robots. <laughs> maybe make them swim. <laughs> maybe make them swim, exactly. And so I said, you know, I'm very sorry. I don't build robots. You know, goodbye. And so I sent him off. And that week... I had four students come in and had exactly the same conversation. They all came in, oh, I've been reading all about you online. I really want to work with you. I said, terrific. What do you want to work on? I want to build robots. And, you know, at this point, I thought maybe there's another Hosoi at MIT who builds robots and they're all coming to the wrong office. But then I realized, no, actually, it turns out that everybody at MIT just wants to build robots. And so I thought, okay, if I'm going to survive here, I'd better learn how to build a robot. <laughs> So I started to think, okay, what lies at the intersection of fluid dynamics, which I know something about, and robotics? Um, and it happens that I had a student come by who, got, who was interested in snails. Mm. And snails are interesting because they are, they're sort of nature's ultimate all-terrain vehicle because they can climb over anything. They can go over mud. They can climb up walls. They can go up <laughs> rocks. Funny exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so yeah. I thought, thought okay, uh, maybe we should try to build a robotic snail. And it turned out this student, the student was Brian Chan, who was terrific. So he, bought, he, um, so he figured out how to, build, how to build the snail. But even more importantly, the way they do it is there's a thin film of fluid under the foot, and they drive stresses in the foot, which propels the snail forward. And my background was in fluid thin films. So I thought, okay, That's here's fitting. a problem I can solve that lies at the interface of fluid thin films and robotics. And that kind of kicked me off in that direction. And then I met people in, in the robotics side, um, and since then, you know, I've, I've looked at a lot of problems that kind of lie at the intersection of fluid mechanics uh, and robotics, or fluid mechanics and bio-inspired design, or fluid mechanics and biomechanics. Um, so that's kind of been what's dictated the trajectory. And uh, what would be your, uh, your advice kind of for younger people yeah. uh, following their way through studies or into a career, or maybe you don't need to have a career at universities or just... Yeah. So my so okay so my advice is um, uh, make sure you don't miss opportunities because <laughs> uh, I know there are, there are, and and I should also say this people do things in many many different ways so I have had enormously successful students who are very focused who say okay I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and then I'm going to end up faculty at this place and they just do it and I think. That is impossible, right? Because right? there's so many random factors when you're when you're going into science. Um, so, um, so for those of you out there who can do that, 
terrific. <laughs> Keep doing that. Um, for me, there is there's no way I could have gotten to where I am doing that. So it was it was really about taking opportunities when they came. Like this story about the students who walked yeah. in and said, "I want to build robots," and I thought. Well, why not? Let's build robots. <laughs> so I, I think I think staying open-minded, um, exploring a lot of things with the understanding that a lot of those things aren't going to work, right? So, you know, I, I think when you're going through school, it, we give you the, the bad impression that everything is very linear. You do this and it works, and then you do this and it works, and then you do this and it works, and then you do, they do this as it works. And that's not really how things go, right? So you take the opportunities when they come, some of them don't work, and that's totally okay. So then you move on to something else. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to having this conversation on oh, a busy day here in Oxford. Excellent. Thank you for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. 